Hey, everybody. You guys doing good? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I am so excited about week two of this series. It's complicated. Last week, I just felt, um, I felt the Holy Spirit just show up, and, and he had something for last week. He really started ministering. It was awesome to have conversations after just what the Lord's doing. And uh, I want this to be that place, right? I want it to be this place where the Lord meets us, where he speaks to us. And today, I want to start with this thought. Uh, that I had this week, which is that small ideas can lead to big problems sometimes. You, you think it's innocent, you think it's tiny, but that can lead to a big problem in life. So let me give you my example. Uh, when I was growing up, I was classically trained on piano. I went to the National Conservatory of Music there in Mexico City. And uh, yeah, woo, conservatories. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so the way it works in Mexico is you have, to, you have to get into the school of music, which that's step one. But even once you're in the school, that means you can take like, you know, solfege, all these like music classes, but you can't take an instrument until a teacher accepts you, even after you're in the school. I know it's kind of weird, but you have to like go find one who will say, yes, I'll teach you the instrument you want to learn. And so it was a big deal to have a teacher because there were students who didn't have a teacher. And I was studying piano and I had this teacher, she was really, really awesome, great teacher, very strict. And I remember when I was like 12, yeah, I think I was 12 or 13, that's when I discovered that I really enjoyed playing basketball quite a bit more than practicing piano. And, uh, and so, you know, my priorities were shifting a bit at that age. And so I would go to class and I wasn't really prepared. She was very disappointed in me. And I remember um, one week she just decided like, I'm done with you. Like you're, you're out. You know, I, I'm not going to be your teacher anymore. And I was like, what? <laughs> and it, it's pretty devastating because it means I don't have a teacher and I might not have another teacher because once you get dropped, how, who's going to take you, right? Um, and, and that's where this little idea started in me of, of me thinking that if Eddie doesn't perform well, he's not valuable. And that's where that idea started. And I was just 12 years old. And then I got another teacher, and she was really great, um, very, very kind, uh, fantastic teacher. But then I remember having a recital somewhere when I was like 14 or 15, a recital with like 50 people in the room. And if you guys have ever played classical music, it's like the worst to play at a recital because you're not allowed to just make up whatever you want to play. You have to play like what Bach said you're supposed to be playing. So, so I'm sitting there, and I just completely botched it. Like, it was awful. It was a terrible, terrible recital. And to sense the disappointment in the room, like by everyone, like, oh gosh, what's up with this kid? Like, why is he even studying to be a, a, a keys player, a piano player? And again, there's that idea again. Eddie's not valuable unless he performs. And like, here we are, and I'm 32 years old now, and that idea is something I have to constantly fight, where it's like, do I still hold value if I'm not good at something? And that's something that started decades ago in me that has turned into bigger problems in my heart. And these are the things that I have to submit to the Lord and, and ask for counsel in and make sure that my friends know that, that this is something I struggle with because in my mind, it's like I'm only valuable if I perform well. And um, there, there's a small idea that turned into a big problem. And I feel like in this category, what we're going to be talking about here tonight, there's a lot of like nuances, small words in the passage that if you, if you really don't pay close attention to what's being said in the Bible, it can lead to some pretty big problems and pretty wrong perspectives on what marriage is supposed to be. And that's what we're aiming for tonight. We're going to be diving into Genesis chapter 1 through 3. We're not going to be reading all the chapters, just going to be taking select verses. 
And, um, and, and we're going to be studying this. And honestly, it's a difficult thing to teach. I'm just going to tell you guys right off the bat, this is something that's difficult to teach. Why? Because we each are bringing our own lens, if you will, to this passage. <laughs> so every single one of us, there's something about what you were taught before or the way you know, marriages were near you that, with people that you love, the way their marriages were, you're bringing that lens to this passage. And uh, so even though all of us have that, and honestly, I have that too. Like, I'm not here to pretend I'm, you know, captain objectivity here. I, I know we all have some, some uh, amount of bias, and I think that's okay, but we need to know that going into the passage so that we can name it, so that we can say, hey, this is why I see it a little different. Maybe it's because my lens is that I'm informed by my parents' marriage or I, I'm informed by my friend's marriage. You see what I'm saying? I just want to make sure you're aware of those things so that then we can study what the Bible says and be aware of the bias that we're bringing to it so that we can see it in context and hopefully come to the best conclusion. Let me just share with you real quick before we dive in three reasons why it's hard to teach on this topic. Uh, reason number one I just mentioned is because we bring our bias. So maybe you've heard phrases like husbands are the leaders and wives are the helpers. So if, if that's like what you grew up around, you're going to see that. You're going to kind of force that into the text. Um, or maybe you grew up hearing like men and women hold equal positions in marriage and whatever it is that you grew up hearing, you're gonna kind of see that, but I want us to be just aware of those things so that we can study this passage better. Second reason why it's hard is because translations include interpretive choices. What that means is, um, you know, the Bible's not written in English, right? So these texts that we're looking in Genesis were written in Hebrew, and then you have to translate it to English so that we can understand what's being said and in these passages, passages specifically, there's some interpretive choices, meaning there was kind of like a, you could go right or you could go left based off the word. And the people who translated the version of the Bible that you have, they had to make a choice, which, you know, they have to make a choice, but those choices give you different conclusions. And so that's what we're going to dive into. And I'm going to hopefully present the case for what I believe is, is the best uh, understanding of what's being said here. Third reason why it's hard to teach this is because Genesis is, a cre is the creation story and there's two things happening, so just keep this in mind. There's the creation of man and woman, and there's also the creation of the marriage relationship between man and woman. And sometimes when we're reading the book of Genesis, you like see that Adam and Eve said this, did this, and you just think automatically, like, that has to do with marriage. Well, not necessarily. Some of it just has to do with the creation of mankind, general universal principles of how God created man and woman. Because here's the thing, in the Hebrew, the word for man and woman is is, um, is basically, it, it, well, no, not basically. It is the same as husband and wife. Did you know that? <laughs> and it's also the same in the Greek. We, the reason it's different in English is because the people translating, based off the context of the sentence, they're making that choice. They're saying, is it saying husband or man? Is it saying wife or woman? So those are just important things for you to keep in mind um, as we're diving into the passage so that you have a little bit of context before we uh, jump in here. So the title of the message is Let's Start at the Beginning. This was what, what was on my heart is, um, where do we start, right? And we started last week with, I think, laying the groundwork of making sure that we're ready to receive what it is that God has made marriage to be. But we have to start here in uh, Genesis chapter 1. And this message is going to be a bit more technical and maybe even theological than what we're used to, um, or you're used to. I don't know what your background is. So I just want to encourage you guys, uh, maybe this is a sermon where you want to take notes or jot things down in your Bible so that... Uh, you can remember these things, but I think it's worth spending the time on because, because small ideas can lead to big problems. 
and, and I don't want that for you. I want to make sure that we're doing our best to interpret what it is that God is saying here. So let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, we, um, well, I'm asking God specifically that you would help me teach this passage. Um, I can't do it, but by your power and by the power of your spirit, I'm asking that I would be able to proclaim the truth of your word. Lord, for all the um, just baggage and bias that we each have, would you just help us to release that as much as we can here so that we can see what it is that you have for us? Um, for we know that if we can see what you made clearly, then we can know what we're aiming for. And that's what we want here tonight. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going there. We're going to Genesis chapter 1, if you have your Bible. Uh, each point of the message, just we're going to dive in a few verses on each of the chapters. We're starting at the beginning. Because in the beginning, God created. Okay, I know this is a pretty basic principle, but in the beginning, God created. That is important. <laughs> Do you understand that everything we're going to understand about marriage, everything we're going to understand about what it means to be a man or a woman is because God created that. So let me say it this way. As a man or a woman, you will not find meaning outside of what God created. So you can't go searching for answers somewhere else. If you really want to know why it is that your heart longs for meaning and what it's supposed to be, you, everybody knows this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. What is it supposed to be? The answer is found in what God created it to be. That's true for men and women, and it's true for husband and wife. As a husband or a wife, you will not find meaning outside of what God created you to be. So in Genesis chapter 1, the way it's laid out, Genesis 1 and 2, is that Genesis 1 is the summary of creation. It just goes all the way from in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then fast forward all the way to day 6 where men and women are created. It's the synopsis of creation, and then chapter 2 is the details, a little bit more of the details. So that story of like exactly how men and women are created is expounded upon in chapter 2. That's an important principle, okay? So just remember, summary, chapter 1, more details in chapter 2, but they're talking about the same thing. It's, it's one event. The, the creation story is happening in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Okay, so first thing we're going to see, and the first point of this message, you're going to see the image of God in humankind in Genesis chapter 1. So let's dive into verse 26. It says this. I'm going to read verse 26 and 27. Then God said, after he created all the things that we see, he said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Creepy. It's such a creep language there in uh, Genesis. Um, creeping things that creep on the earth. And then verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Just so you guys know, I'm preaching out of the ESV. If you have another version, it's going to be helpful. I'd love for you, I'm even going to ask it at some point what you see in your translation. But uh, here in verse 26, it starts with God saying, let us make man. The reason God says us is uh, because he's a triune God. It's God the Father, Son, and Spirit. You see them all present at creation. So he's saying, let us, as God, the triune God, let us make man. Now, ESV uses the word man, but there's a footnote that says that man is a generic term that also sometimes means mankind. And uh, I think that's what's being said here. It's interesting that even though they put that footnote, they still put the word man in there. But then it says, in our image, after our own likeness, and let, what's it say? 
them, them. So clearly they're saying it's mankind. Um, uh, let them have dominion. So I would say that verse is saying that both man and woman are the ones who are supposed to have dominion over all creation. It makes perfect sense. God makes planets, trees, plants, um, animals, and then he makes mankind. And they are uh, you know, more powerful, more significant. They have a, a unique relationship with God as human beings is how he makes them, and he makes them in his image. Now, uh, the question is, is God saying that man is going to have dominion? over all the creatures of the earth, or man and woman? And I think the answer is just so clear because as you get to the end of verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, right? God's being very, very clear. Like, just in case you were wondering, if you want to slip in that it's, it's man instead of mankind, he's like, no, no, here it is. Male and female, he created them. So uh, no one is publicly claiming that I know of, that I've ever heard a preacher, no one's claiming that God only created man in his image, but there are many actions and interpretations of the New Testament passages that are based on that belief, really. That's what's at the core of it, is, is the belief that there's something um, more that God put in man in regards to being created in his image, and that belief leads to a whole slew of problems inside of marriage. So the conclusion is that God created man and woman in his image. Why, do, why can we draw that conclusion? Well, because it's in his image. The, what God is saying is we're kind of like a reflection of him. Both men and women together make up this reflection of who God is. And I think that's the best understanding. It's obvious because God uses both male and female terms to describe himself all throughout scripture. Yes, he, he represents himself as father and Jesus Christ was the son of God. But there's also many times in scripture where he's like, and I'm like a mother to Israel, and I'm, I'm like a woman who does this. God has no problem using that because it's in his likeness. He's not saying I'm the same thing as a woman or I'm even the same thing as a man. He's saying this is kind of like me. It's the reflection of me. And so because God uses both those terms, I think it's very obvious that what he's saying is that both men and women are uh, the bearers of the image of God. Therefore, the likeness of God is seen in both genders. And I thought of an illustration of how, how could we understand it. And I've always seen this logo of this company, and I don't even know if it's movies or shows, but I've seen this many times. Maybe you guys have seen it. Have you seen that? Yeah? <laughs> yeah, so we watched some of the same shows, clearly, which is cool. Um, I, thought, I think that's a super cool logo. Um, so basically, it's like that object, when the light shines this way, you see a C. When the light shines that way, it makes an E. It casts a shadow of an E. And I thought that's kind of a cool picture of what I think the image of God is. So if the center piece is the image of God, which, which we don't see fully, but we get to see the C and the E, both men and women. And if you, if you erase one of them, you don't end up with a full image. So if you only want to focus on one of them, you're, you're missing out on the likeness of God. You're missing out on the full picture. This is why I always try to have a female perspective on anything that really matters in my life. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is something I need as a man, and I think women need on, on, uh, vice versa, right? Like anything that really matters, you want to find brothers and sisters who can speak into it. Why? Because I want to have the likeness of God in front of me, <laughs> that it would become clearer and clearer what it is. So when I was dreaming up what it is that NLYA would become, as soon as I got here, even before we ever met, I was meeting with people and I made sure I wanna hear a female perspective. So yes, obviously I have that with Christina, but I think it goes wider than that. And, and I'm always seeking that perspective because I wanna have the likeness of God in, in anything that really matters in, in my life. And that's not just about 
marriage, that's about humankind, the way we should be treating one another with the dignity and respecting one another, saying it's both of it, it's both of us. That's how we're going to get to this likeness of God. So we see the image of God in humankind. And uh, so the question I pose to you guys is, do you see a hierarchy? Remember, hierarchy is just an order of importance or order of influence. Do we see a hierarchy between man and woman in Genesis chapter 1? Do you see it anywhere there? It's not a trick question. I'm not trying to trick you guys. The answer is (laughs) no. I don't see it. But why? Why do we see it? Both male and female, he created them in his image. See? They're, they're They're the same in that sense. Um, that they both bear the image of God. So there's no hierarchy in Genesis chapter 1. Now let's move on to Genesis chapter 2. Second point is we're going to see that man finds his equal in position. Man finds his equal in position. Genesis 1 and 2, like I said earlier, they're talking about the same thing, right? So keep in mind, this is a creation story. Genesis 2 is now adding details. So it's not a separate topic, and Genesis 1 makes the point that both men and women are equal bearers of the image of God. So we should not anticipate a difference to occur until chapter 3, because chapter 3 is where sin enters into the world. So I would expect chapter 2 to just be more of the same in regards to the theme. However, (laughs) this passage is where people claim to see a hierarchy in the relationship of man to woman, but we're going to take a closer look at that right now. Um, let's start with verse 18. This is now chapter 2, if you want to flip the page. Genesis 2, 18 says this. Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. Thank you, Lord, for identifying that. We are very, very thankful as men that you identified it. It's not good for man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. That's what's in the ESV, a helper fit for him. If you have another translation, can you just shout out what you have there instead of helper fit for him? Anybody? What's that? Compliments him. A helper that compliments him? Okay, someone else? Suitable. A helper suitable. Does anybody have anything besides helper? Perfect? A perfect for him? <laughs> all right, so it seems like all that's around this concept. And this is, this is what I've always heard, like helpmate, helper, suitable for him. And um, that's how the ESV translation has it. But, um, but here's where I believe that people are reading New Testament passages that are pretty difficult to understand and interpret. And then because of decisions they're making in the New Testament, now they're trying to bring a little bit of that into Genesis chapter 2. So they're translating with a little bit of a bent, a little bit of, a, of an inconsistency. Let me just point out something to you back in chapter 1. You don't have to turn back there, but um, did anybody else notice in verse 27 that says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. It says him in the ESV. Wait, wait, wait. I thought he created them. Why wouldn't they put them? And so they have both presentations of the idea. It's him and sometimes, and then them and others. You see this inconsistency in the translation. I think it, my argument is it has to be one or the other. When you see inconsistency in any argument, you know it stands on shaky ground. And, and so you want to at least, at the very least, it can still be a bad argument, the wrong argument, but you should see consistency in the, in the posture that the argument is taking. And so here in chapter 2, now we see uh, this term helper fit for him show up 
And uh, really, there's two options to translate this. And the one is the one where I was a lot more used to, which is helper for him. Helper for him. But there's another option of translating the exact same words uh, for scholars who spend way more time on this than I ever will. Um, and that's the idea of uh, he, she will be a solution corresponding to him. A solution corresponding to him. And, um, you know, even in the ESV, when I looked at helper fit for him, fit for him, if I look at my footnotes, it says, or corresponding to him. It even throws that corresponding option in there. You might have that in your Bible as well. That's a big deal. <laughs> what, what we're interpreting that verse to say makes a big, big difference on how we're understanding God created men and women to be because helper for him is not even close, in my opinion, to solution corresponding to him. And I think solution corresponding to him is the better understanding of the verse. And that's because of the problems I see with helper fit for him, helper for him. And there's two problems I see that I'll present to you guys right now uh, with the phrase helper for him that lead to things that are problematic. Another thing, as you're trying to decide what's the best interpretation, you can decide an interpretation, then also ask yourself, where does this lead? And if it leads you to things that are more problematic, maybe your interpretation isn't the right one. Try a different interpretation. If it leads to be much more in line with what the Bible says as a whole, I think that's a good way of understanding the scriptures. So, um, so helper for him, two problems. One, if you are a single man who does not get married, who doesn't end up with a woman in your life, then you have to believe that you are incomplete and you're still in that not good creation of God because you haven't found it. You, you don't have the helper that God made for you. So suddenly by being a single man, you're, you're incomplete. <laughs> and I don't think that's, I think I have a big problem with that thought. And second, I think even more disturbing is then you subtly start to believe that the purpose of women is found in men because she's the helper for him. The whole reason why you exist, <laughs> why do you exist as a woman? It's because God made you to be a helper for him. And, and that way of thinking, I think, leads to very problematic theology. Um, that, that means, again, there's an incomplete sense unless marriage happens. And that just cannot be true based off what Paul teaches us about singleness. Paul was single. <laughs> there's just so many things that the Bible would say, uh, that doesn't line up. There's no way the Bible can stand on that. That's why I think the term solution corresponding to him makes a lot more sense. Why solution? This is where they got the concept of helper. They got the concept of helper because the word um, implies someone coming to an aid of someone. And so that's why they use the term helper. But I think a better word in English would be solution. What's the solution to, or actually, it's the solution to what problem? That he saw that man was alone. <laughs> so here comes the solution, which is woman. She's not the helper, she's the answer <laughs> to the problem that man had, that he was alone. And she's a solution not made for him, as in finding purpose in him. She's the solution corresponding to him. It's just, it's so plain and simple to understand it that way that you say, okay, because you remember in the passage, you might not know this, but then Adam kind of like looks through the land and he's like, man, you know, elephants have their elephant couples and bears and all these, and I have nobody. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's like, yeah, this would be the, the corresponding member to Adam would be woman. And uh, enough said on that, right? Um, okay, so, so I just think it's, it's much easier to understand it that way, that she is the solution corresponding to him. Then, um, 
then God performs surgery on, on Adam and he makes Eve out of his rib. And then Adam like, you know, comes back to after the surgery and his response is uh, when he sees Eve for the first time, this is what he says. It's Genesis chapter two, verse 23. He says, then the man said, talking about Adam, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, let's ask ourselves, does that sound like Adam is saying that she is subordinate to him? Or is that, does that sound like Adam is saying she's equal to me? I, I think it's pretty obvious to me. I mean, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He's saying, this one's like me. Like, just like me, I really, really like that. And this is poetic, so he's kind of like singing a song here, you know. He's like, this, this being, woman, she is like me, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I don't hear him saying, I finally found someone who can help me. I don't hear that in, in what he's saying. I see, hear him saying, I finally found someone who corresponds to me, who's equal to me in, in dignity, in, in the way that God created this to be. Then in verse 24, he continues, or sorry, uh, the passage continues. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. This is the first appearance of what marriage is, though it's not using the word marriage. That's what marriage is. It's when a man and a woman become what the Bible describes as one flesh. They enter into this pretty mysterious relationship where it's not all scientific. And I've been married for 11 years now. And I'm telling you guys, this one flesh thing is real. Uh, There is a one flesh. Yes, physically, you become one through intimacy, through sexual intimacy. But that goes way further than anything physical. It It becomes a oneness in emotions where I can walk into the house and just within one second, I feel what Christina feels. (laughs) I don't know how else to explain it. It's just being around her. There's a oneness. And it also happens spiritually that when God starts pressing something on my heart, we'll talk about it. And it's like, God was doing the same thing in my heart. You see what I'm saying? There's like this oneness. It's kind of mysterious. It's hard to explain, but that is what marriage was made to be. It's one flesh. So what happens here in verse 24 is there, this is an instructional verse from the Holy Spirit as he inspires the scriptures. He steps outside of the narrative, okay? Chapter two is telling us details of how creation happened. It's, so it's a narrative. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. Then suddenly he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Why do we know it's instructional versus narrative? Well, pretty obvious. Adam did not have a father and a mother, nor did Eve, right? These are the first two human beings. So the writer of the book is saying, here is some instruction inspired by the Holy Spirit on what this relationship of marriage is supposed to look like. And that is that the man should leave his father and his mother and then hold fast to his wife and they become one flesh. So you each have to make a conclusion. Anytime, this is just good Bible study tip. Anytime you see the word therefore, ask yourself, why is it therefore? Uh, what is that word it, there? Because that is a conclusion word. It's saying, based off what just was said, we are now drawing this principle. So there's two options, really, of why that word is saying, therefore, marriage should happen. Therefore, they should be one flesh. Option one is man needed a helper. God made him a helper. So therefore, man should leave his parents and become one with his helper. Or option two, man had no counterpart. 
God solved that problem by creating woman who corresponds to man and is equal to him. Therefore, a man should leave his parents and become one with a specific woman who is equal to him. The reason why I think that is the better interpretation is because to be one is, again, emphasizing an equal relationship, a mutual relationship. It's not saying take your helper who's below you and then bring her up to be one with you. No, leave your thing, leave your parents, your genealogy, and become one with a specific woman who is your equal. So God made it very obvious that women corresponds Woman corresponds to man. That's very obvious, yes, physically, of course, but also emotionally, um, there is a correspondence between men and women. This is something very profound that God has made in this universe. And woman is compatible to man. That's, that's the obvious piece. So I don't even think that's the most important question when it comes to marriage. It's not, are we co- like, do we correspond? Are we compatible? Like, in the general sense, if you are a man and she is a woman, you, you're compatible, Okay. That makes you compatible enough inside of the creation of God. And yes, I understand we're asking questions of personality and all those things are worth considering. But really the the big question when it comes to marriage is this. Is this someone I want to become one with? I want to become one with. That is what the goal is. That's what marriage is. We want to become one. And you have to think about, is this someone who I want to no longer be just myself, but now we become a unit. We become an entity together as, as a couple. And you say, yeah, I want that. I want to share that physically, emotionally, spiritually. I want to have all that with this person. That's the big question when you're thinking about, you know, do I want to get married? And, and I just don't think that's the question people are asking. <laughs> if I'm just going to be honest, I hear a lot more of, instead of asking, am I seeking someone to be one with? I hear a lot more, am I seeking someone so that I'm not lonely, uh, so that I don't have to be alone anymore? Or am I seeking someone to receive physical pleasure? You're, you're thinking about yourself, and that is not the question when it comes to marriage. If you're not asking, am I looking for someone who I can be one with, then I can tell you right now, you're just not ready. You're just not ready. And you don't have to have it all figured out. We're not perfect. We don't figure it out. But that's where it has to start. Why? Because that's what marriage is. And that's what God created it to be. And I want you guys to be aiming for that. And don't fill yourself with all these other questions and this nonsense that we learn on television and movies of like, this is what it's supposed to be. You know what it's supposed to be? One flesh. That's what it's supposed to be. And we have to start thinking that way and evaluating that way as we're dating. This whole series is built off. If we know where we're headed, then we're going to start talking about how do we practically put that in place in dating. We're going to get to that. That's coming in later weeks. So uh, just like we finished chapter one, And we do not see a hierarchy of a relationship. We see mutuality in the fact that they're both made in the image of God. Then chapter two, do we see any hierarchy between the men and women? And I would suggest to you that we do not. But this is where a lot of the debate over these passages happens. And that's why I just want to throw it out there. That's why I give you this different interpretation of helper for him. Because I think what's kind of getting implied there is there's already a hierarchy. And I do not believe that that's the best understanding of Genesis chapter two. I think the hierarchy, this sort of um, dominance positional way of viewing marriage shows up in chapter three when sin enters the world. And that's the third point of the message. Dysfunction enters into marriage in Genesis chapter three because of sin. Adam and Eve, they eat of the forbidden fruit. They sin against God and then God's judgment comes first against Satan and then um, it comes to woman and then to man So uh, here we for sure now will see a picture of hierarchy in marriage that is dysfunctional. 
And uh, let's just read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. God says to the woman, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I command you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. So when in that verse uh, 16 where it says that the wife's desire will be for her husband and he shall rule over you. That phrase, rule over you, is not a good thing. <laughs> you cannot interpret that as like, oh, he's like a, a good ruler. No, that's not what the verse is saying. It's, it's implying oppression. That's what it's saying. It's he's going to not uh, gently and lovingly lead. That's not what the verse is saying. It's saying he's going to take advantage of, of his influence, of his power, whatever it is, and he's going to lord it over you in an opp- oppressive way. And what's happening here in in Genesis chapter 3 is there's kind of two things at play. One, God is specifically doing things, and you see that in the language where he says, I will do this. So God is the one who, because of sin, he says, I will now add and multiply to the pain of childbearing. That's something God does. But then right after that, he doesn't say, and I will make your husband rule over you. But that is the most accepted understanding of this verse, is that somehow because of sin, God is now making it dysfunctional. I don't think that's what's happening here because the language isn't that way. I think what God is doing is he's saying, and this is what it's going to look like, guys. Because now sin is in the picture, what's about to happen throughout history is you're going to see uh, men, husbands, rule over their wives. And that has definitely proven to be true in many, many marriages. And we now see the dysfunction of that. But it's not what God wanted. And I walk you through it all this way because I want you to see that what God made is in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and what we messed up is in Genesis chapter 3. What he wanted was for there to be a mutually loving relationship between a man and a woman who become one flesh. And together, they love and support each other. It's not you're in charge and I submit It's not authority and subordination, it's mutuality. It's what God intended because he put his image in both of them. So, why why take the time and why start here at the beginning? Well, um, it's really, really important for all of us, whether single or married, that you know that God created men and women in his image. And we have to act that way. If there's anything in your heart that views the opposite gender as something lesser simply because they're that gender. There's something wrong inside of you. You've swayed from the way God created this universe. And so we should never speak that way. We should never act that way. Um, Yes, there are differences. Obviously, God made us different. We're not exactly the same. He made us corresponding to each other, so there's obviously difference in there. But equal in position before God, equal in dignity, and, um, and, and the second thing I thought of was that the question of marriage is, do I want to be one flesh with this person? And I, I'm just convinced that if you, have a, if you had a small idea of marriage being something else, it's going to lead to some big problems for you. 
So I just want to come back to this. What did God make it to be? And some of you may need to rethink some of your small ideas that um, in order for you to pursue what God created marriage to be, you need to rethink some of these small ideas that maybe you had as far as what is it that God created. And as I was thinking and praying upon these passages, and I was just, I was kind of like, why, Lord? Like, why, you know, go through it in this way? And I felt the Lord say, Eddie, if, if they aim for dysfunction, if you aim for chapter three of Genesis, you'll never miss. You guys will hit it every time. But if you understand that the aim is Genesis one and two, then there's a chance that by the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ in us, we can have that through redemption. Amen. Jesus can bring us back to that creation. Why do you think he says that he makes you a new creation? He's saying, I can pull you back to the way I made it to be. So could it be that so much of what we're experiencing in the brokenness of marriages is because we're aiming for something that's a consequence of sin rather than aiming for what God made it to be? And I just want you to be released of whatever small ideas you had in your mind that made you think, I gotta look for that, I gotta look for that. Are you looking for Genesis 3? Are you looking for what God made in Genesis 1 and 2? So we start here at the beginning. And as we're praying and saying, Lord, what is it? What is it that you have for us? Could he draw us back? Could he pull us back into, I made it this way. And when we walk in the spirit, when we honor God, you'll see how you can have that. It's available to you now. And when we fail, and we all do, we'll start seeing more of the things we see in Genesis chapter three. So let me just pray for you guys. And then we'll, uh, we'll respond to the Lord and worship to what he's revealed today. Father, I pray for those of us who, maybe we have been aiming for dysfunction and we didn't even know it. Could we be released of that, Lord? Could it be just something taken from us here tonight and that we would strive for what it is that you made? Thank you, Lord, that um, you put us on this planet together. We're really, really thankful it's not just men and we're really thankful it's not just women. There's something really awesome and beautiful that we have as men and women and also as husbands and wives. We agree with what you said when you said it was good. Once you were done with creation, you looked at it and it's, it's really good. It's very good. And for the things that we see that are not good, it's so obvious that that's because of our sin. It's because we brought dysfunction into these relationships. So Lord, give us new eyes to see what you made. Give us a heart to long for and to press into what your heart revealed when you created man and woman, when you created husband and wife. And Lord, in faith, just as a pastor that I, that I am, that you've called me to be here, I'm just praying specifically for the people in front of me. Lord, I believe within a year, two, three, four, five, there's gonna be marriages formed. And so I'm praying a blessing over those marriages right now, God. In faith, you see them. You're the God who stands outside of time from everlasting to everlasting, you're God. You see all that's about to happen. And so God, we're praying that you would go before us and that you would bless the marriages, that they would be built upon your love, <laughs> not some sort of infatuation, not just attraction to the way we look at each other, but built upon a love that's beyond ourselves, built upon a love that cannot be earned, 
that cannot be achieved but can be given and God in you, we can now love in that way. So I pray that these marriages would be built strong and that they would have a strong foundation in your word, that they would be godly husbands, godly wives, that they would have godly children and honor you for the rest of their days, Lord. This is something you want. And so we're praying for it and we're asking for it, God, that in your timing, in your way, we submit to it and ask for that blessing. And Lord, help us. Help us every day. Help us in the waiting. Help us when it doesn't happen. Help us when it's broken. Help us when we're tired. We ask that you would be our comforter as you guide us through all the days of our lives. And so God, we say we build our lives upon you. We build our lives upon you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.